what I hate to see is early stage founders who are still in that hustle and haven't had that crack yet, but you can, it's like just around the corner. You can almost see it coming for a lot of people. I would love to see more founders who have experienced that crack before who probably don't want to talk about it publicly because it may impact their investor confidence or employee confidence or whatever it might be maybe just share that privately with the next generation because you can see it happening and and there are simple tools and strategies you can put in place to to manage yourself and still work hard Hey everyone, I'm Jason Lim and you're listening to People Building Businesses, the podcast from YBF Ventures. YBF's mission is to help startups to scale, scale-ups to succeed, and corporates to innovate. Find out more at ybfventures.com. Our guest this week is a very familiar face in startup circles in Melbourne and more broadly, Victoria. It's Startup Victoria CEO, Judy Anderson. Judy is the driving force behind Startup Vic's mission to create more founders and better founders, and to also support businesses in many ways across the state. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, just tune in to our various channels on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. So I'm very excited to interview Judy today. Uh, we're actually hosting the podcast today in the YBF boardroom, the first time ever we're doing it here. So Judy, very excited. Um, obviously, you're an important guest, which is why we've had this massive boardroom just for you today. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. The last time I was actually in this boardroom, I was having my final interview with uh, Startup Victoria's chairman, Peter Cameron, and the co-founder, Scott Hansacker. Oh. And we were argy-barging uh, about me coming on board. So oh my I'm getting like good flashbacks. It's good to be back. That's awesome. That's great yeah. news. And yeah. this is before YBF. Uh, so this was formerly Team Square, and that was before YBF sort of took over the, the business. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, this would have yeah. been a couple of years ago. A couple of so, years ago, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Time flies. That's I know. crazy. Um, so, Judy... Uh, according to your Twitter bio, you're supposedly a expert pun slinger. Oh my God. I did not prepare any. <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. Uh, yes, I would like to think so. You're welcome to continue slinging puns as much as you like during the podcast. Okay, that's permission. You're going to regret that. Okay, awesome. <laughs> well, well, we'll check in on that at the end. We'll, we'll tally up the number of puns you, you come up with. Excellent. Um, we usually start by asking people what their childhood was like, etc. But we, we love research here. So apparently, uh, at mm. seven years old, you've already dabbled in entrepreneurship. You won an invention competition with a tracking device made... Uh, for your mom's misplaced glasses. Oh my God, how do you know is, that? Is that a thing? That's like very scary that you know that. <laughs> or I tell the story too often. Um, so yeah, that's right. So I grew up in the Blue Mountains mm. um, in New South Wales. Uh, my dad was a railway engineer and my mom was a, a, a creative arts teacher at the local primary school. Um, so the kind of perfect blend of, I guess, like engineering and creativity being taught to me when I was a really young kid. Um, but growing up in the Blue Mountains, there wasn't a lot to do. And so you'd always kind of had to make your own fun. Like my dad's idea of playtime was to go to a garage sale, buy an old computer, bring it home, and then we'd take it apart and then we'd have to put it back together again. And then the test was like, you only get to pass if it worked when you plugged it back in. Um, so that was kind of like my childhood and the teachers at my local primary school ran an invention competition and uh, the problems that I had back then weren't really that important to solve. But one was that my mum would always interrupt my playtime with my sister to help her find her glasses. 
Like, I don't know if you have this person in your family that is always I'm, losing I'm probably stuff. that person. You're that guy? <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm yeah. the person. There's always that person, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I was like, I, I can solve this and get more playtime um, if I just don't have to help mum find her glasses all the time. So um, dad took me down to the local hardware store and we bought a few bits and bobs and I ended up um, soldering a tracking device to her glasses frame and then putting the, yeah, I know my dad should not have let me near a soldering iron, but um, uh, and then I put a finder button on her car keys. So so anytime she lost the glasses, she could just press this button and then uh, they would flash and make a beeping sound. So she could go through the house and find them herself. Um, ended up winning the competition at my primary school wow. with this invention. And then uh, a week later, my mum actually lost the car keys. So it wasn't <laughs> so good, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but I did like carry that love of invention um, into like my later studies and studying entrepreneurship and wanting to build products and services that actually make a better difference and um you know like everyone has that story right like as an entrepreneur oh, i had that idea years ago and like when tile came out a few years ago i was like i made tile when that's i was tile. seven yeah. i was like yeah so that's uh, i'm really impressed that you knew that story well that that wasn't your only uh dabbling in entrepreneurship before you went out to the workforce and in high school you started a juice bar as well yeah that's right so i was working at a local cafe just i was in high school earning like 10 bucks an hour <laughs> It was really depressing. Um, and uh, the cafe itself had this little old Dutch pancake place out the back that was closed down and no one was running it. So um, another waitress and I were like, oh, like maybe we could turn this into like a little juice bar because there's a market that runs in the car park every Sunday and, you know, like it's summer's coming. Like maybe we could do something and like earn some extra cash. Um, so we ended up pitching it to the owners of the cafe and they were like, well, if you clean it and renovate it, you can have it for free and like just do something with it so we ended up yeah cleaning it renovating it buying a couple of blenders and a juice machine and then yeah made our money back in like the first couple of weeks so yeah uh don't know if it had an abn so i don't know if i would call it a business but it was definitely a lot of fun it's still it's still entrepreneurship in a sense isn't it right yeah where do you think that invention that love for invention in yourself came from or that love for entrepreneurship especially at such a young age at, at seven years old like where does that come from um, I think I always just liked building stuff, to mm. be perfectly honest with you. Um, I just honestly found it really enjoyable. Um, I definitely wouldn't call myself a born entrepreneur because I think, you know, as I, as I got later on in life, I think entrepreneurship kind of gets beaten out of you in the schooling system because mm. when you're a kid, it's like, oh, there's lots of different ways to do things and it's not so black and white and it's not right or wrong and then you go into the schooling system and it's structured in a completely different way and there is a right answer and a wrong answer and you kind of get beaten into the system a little bit more. Mm. Um, so I think I've actually had to fight to keep that as I've gotten older, um, not the other way around, funnily enough. Yeah, which is actually a great segue into my next question. Uh, you did a Bachelor of Business in Entrepreneurship at RMIT. Uh, what was that experience like for you, learning entrepreneurship in an academic environment? It was, it's kind of a paradox, isn't it? Yeah, it is definitely a paradox. And this is also when it was um, like an experimental degree. Uh, so this is back in 2008. Right. Uh, yeah. And and I think it was RMIT's first um, crack at an entrepreneurship degree. And I think the only other people to have done it in Victoria at the time was Swinburne. Um, and so when I, when I chose to do the course, like it was very different to what it is now like you you weren't taught lean startup methodology and you weren't taught how to build an mvp or like a lean business model canvas or anything like you weren't taught about um you know 
doing user experience or anything like that. Mm. It was how to write a business plan and, you know, uh, finance for entrepreneurs and guerrilla marketing and, you know, um, commercial law 101, how not to get sued. Like all (laughs) of that stuff, like very helpful. Um, But it was basically like a commerce degree with a few like fun subjects thrown in. So in terms of actual ways to think, um, I think students these days are much better off. There's so much learning now like even what you would learn at RMIT today is vastly more helpful I would say um, just because of how um, freely distributed that sort of entrepreneurship methodology is Um, the best thing about the course though was actually the people Hmm. it was the cohort so the people that were in that class was about maybe like 150 or so people who all at least thought they were an entrepreneur or wanted to be an entrepreneur one day. So um, the people that I met in that course are still my friends today. Like they're people who work in the space either here in in Australia or overseas in the Bay Area or in Berlin. Like they've gone on to work in really interesting careers. And I think that's probably the most valuable thing that I got from that course. Right. It's kind of a, it's kind of a thing in, the US for people to say, you know, if you want to pursue a career in entrepreneurship, drop out of college or drop out of uni. And to some extent, you're getting it here in Australia as well. If someone were to come to you and say, hey, you know, Judy, I'm looking for advice. Should I drop out to start a company or should I just slog it out for another three years? Well, what what advice would you give them? Oh my God. I feel like I should not answer that question for fear of like influencing (laughs) someone. Um, but I mean, obviously the answer annoyingly is going to be, it depends. It depends on your, your, on your situation. Like I've seen all, all different sorts. Like I think in the U S it's the story that I hear not having experienced it most is now it's kind of the opposite. It's like, if you want to be a tech entrepreneur or you want to have a really interesting career in the startup industry, it's like you do work really hard at school because you have like, it's highly competitive. It's no longer a fringe industry with like a few people wearing jeans and sneakers working in a garage. Like this is a major industry that that does change the world, that does create wealth, that does create jobs, that does deliver on innovation. So I think you do have to be working hard to, to get in there. All that being said, um, there's always still that like classic stereotype of an entrepreneur who perhaps is like the rebel archetype that never fits in. But I don't think these days you have to subscribe to that you know sort of personality to be successful as an entrepreneur like at startup vic we see all different types of of characters coming through like we see people who have had a 20 to 30 year career in professional services you know make the leap and be incredibly successful we've seen um you know deep tech researchers who are specialists in their field of either medicine or agriculture or even data science and they find a co-founder who can like match the business side of what they've actually built and they're doing incredibly successful things so I don't know. I think it's totally up to you. Like I think I personally didn't drop out of university, even though it was really tempting um, about halfway through because I was getting like really impatient. I just wanted to be in the world building stuff. Um, But I'm glad that personally I stuck it out because that's what led me to um, my career at Deloitte, which taught me a lot um, before I entered the startup space. So so what did you do at Deloitte? Uh, You spent a couple of years there, two, two, three years in in Deloitte? Yeah, I think it was about two and a half. I don't know. My LinkedIn will have like the accurate dates, but it was about (laughs) that. Um, And I came in as like super junior burger. I basically had to like stalk the innovation director at the time for a job for about a year. Um, And in between 
Deloitte and my university studies, I actually had a stint selling toilets at uh, Reese Bathroom Life. Okay. Not many people know about that. Turns out entrepreneurship is a really unemployable degree if you're not ready to start <laughs> your own business. Um, you want to be your own boss. You yeah. want to control everything. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so my job there basically was to, to support the internal innovation team. Uh, at Deloitte. So it was not a consulting arm at all. It was more for the different service lines across Deloitte. How could we innovate either our processes, products, services, what we actually offer to clients uh, and basically move them through our process as quickly as possible from idea through to something new in the market. So lots of coordination, lots of workshop facilitation, lots of holding meetings and figuring out what a big business actually looked like on the inside and figuring out that is not what I want to do. Right. Okay. Uh, well, a lot of entrepreneurs don't actually have that experience. They've never worked with a big business before. So did you, did you learn anything particularly valuable that you've since taken out and that's, I guess, that you've been able to distill and, and pass on to entrepreneurs that you work with? Totally. Uh, you see a lot of entrepreneurs, um, like a lot of them still do have that sort of rebel archetype, yeah, right? So they do. Um, there's a lot of like tissue rejection with big corporates, right? Um, I think there's this overarching believe that if you're big you're slow and if you're big you're evil and if you're big you're not you know and and some of that can be true but it's not always true and I think if you just paint the entire business with this same brush you can lose some things that are really valuable to you in your startup so you know like I witness a lot of founders building things like process or structure or certain rules for management as they scale just based on first principles thinking, but there's hundreds of years of of corporate structure that can help you, right? Um, so I think there's there's definitely a lot you can still learn from from a business um, that's at scale. So yeah, I think you can take the best of both worlds. Okay. There. So so after Deloitte, you moved on to a company called Inventium, and there you you took your innovation expertise to become a, an innovation consultant and executive coach within that company. Uh, you spent quite a bit of time there as well, about yeah. four and a half years within that company. Yeah. Uh, what what was that experience like for you? What what did you do at Inventium? Yeah, Inventium was really fun um so that was really where i would say i i sort of developed my i don't know not just not just the tools for for innovation and creativity in business but how to work um so amantha imber who's the ceo of inventium she is like maniacally maniacally obsessed with like how to create a great place to work. Um, so I basically got coached within an inch of my life on how to be productive and, um, you know, be a really great speaker and how to teach people really well and make sure that they actually learn from from what you're trying to share. So I learned a lot about how to be a good worker um, at Inventium. And the, the other things I really learned at Inventium was how to actually build businesses. So because I was working in a consulting role, um, a lot of what that would look like in practice is a a big company would come to us and say, we're slowing down, you know, the bottom end of our market is getting eaten away by startups or by new competitors on the fringe. And we know that it's only going to get worse from here. Like we need to be more innovative. We need new products, new services. We need to target new markets. Like, but how do we do that? Um, And we would come in and teach them what the scientific research shows around how to become an innovative company. Um, So research from the likes of Clayton Christian um, of course, like lean startup methodology mm. and the likes and tools of creativity, um, but also things like process and strategy and structure and um, even things like KPIs and roles. So how do you actually encourage your employees to be more innovative when they're actually working themselves out of a job? What do you do for structure and things like that? Yeah. Um, and that was really fascinating because I basically got paid to 
come in and redesign people's businesses. Um, and that was really fun. And then a lot of the time I'd also work on uh, quite tactical projects where we'd be given a brief to actually generate a new product or service and you'd work through the whole process. So it was very strange. I feel like I got to build a lot of businesses under someone else's sort of umbrella. Right. Yeah. Was there a big aversion to change? Like, especially for such a big established company that you're going in and you're sort of like ruffling feathers there and you're putting in new processes, building a company, a new company or a new team from scratch. That must ruffle some feathers surely within these large companies. Yeah, of course. I found it only ever really worked if you were being brought in by uh, the CEO or the chair right. of the company. If you were ever brought in in a, in a middle management layer, it's just like you'd go two steps forward and five steps back. Uh, yeah. It would just never, never really work. Yeah. Like what, what do they typically, why do you think that's the case? Why is there this big aversion to change when, you know, everyone, everyone kind of knows they need to innovate or become irrelevant. So where do you think this aversion comes from? Honestly, I think that the thing to remember is at the end of the day, businesses are run by people mm. and it's people that make decisions. And all of those micro decisions within an organization eventually lead up to that big macro decision. And a lot of the time it looks like not changing and not moving. Uh, and I think, honestly, if you just choose one thing that you want to change uh, and you want to be more innovative, it's how do you actually, how do you actually like uh, reward people in the business? Like, what are you actually rewarding? What do people's KPIs looks like? Look like what what are their performance metrics? Because if at the end of the day, all of your metrics across the business add up to your existing products and service, so your current P and L, and protecting that and protecting that market share as opposed to investing in new market share and new products and services, then the reality is like the work that's going to get prioritized is your existing P&L. Yeah. So if you just look at one thing, I think that's that's probably where I would start. Okay. So jumping into Start Victoria now. Yes. Uh, how do you first come across Startup Vic? I actually went to a Startup Vic event, I think back when I was actually working at Deloitte or even when I was still at university. Um, it was... Uh, a meetup down in Spy Nine in Cremorne when yep. it was still like, you know, like the pitch nights of Startup Vic were like more like a, you know, open mic night at a comedy club. It's like someone would have a few beers and get on stage and be like, here's my startup idea. Like, this will be great. Um, and they actually flew down Steve Blank, um, who is like the godfather of lean startup methodology. Yeah. A lot of people think Eric Reese, uh, you know, sort of came out with the methodology, but Steve Blank was the mentor for Eric Reese. Eric Reese was just the one who monetized it and put right. it in a book okay i didn't realize um, that as well yeah cool. so right. they flew out steve blank and they were basically having a conversation about lean starter methodology how to apply it and that was super relevant for me at the time um i think it was yeah it was a delight at the time um so that's how i first discovered startup vic and then i don't think i even thought about startup vic until um someone uh, emailed me when they were on the hunt for the new ceo so at the time, I'd actually just dropped to – I was um, in Sydney at the time. I was head of the Sydney office for Inventium. I'd just actually uh, had a conversation with Amantha to, to pair back. I was ready to start my own business um, after, you know, the better part of a decade helping other people do it. I'd finally gotten rid of my imposter syndrome. and was like, no, I think I know what I'm doing. I'm right. ready to do it now. Um, and so I moved back to Melbourne, was working part-time and working on a couple of projects with some friends to figure out what was the right thing for me. And – Two people I used to work with on the same day, within the same hour, independently forward me uh, Georgia Beatty's uh, email saying that we're on the hunt for a new CEO of Startup Victoria. They both were like, you would be perfect for this role. Um, and long story short, here, here I am. <laughs> well, what's the, the process like when you decided that you wanted to be CEO? Did you have to go through multiple rounds of interviews? 
Yes. <laughs> Intense process. Yes, yes. Um, Scott Hansacker, I think. Uh, Scott, who's the co-founder of Startup Victoria, he now runs uh, a cybersecurity accelerator here in Melbourne called SciRise. Uh, I think he's probably one of the most intense recruiters I've ever come across before. Right. Yeah, his bar is pretty insane. The questions that he asks, and like they're tricky questions. You know what I mean? Like he will, um, I don't know if I'm going to reveal part of his process, but like he'll be probing for something very specific. And the question that he will ask you, like, will not be what you think he's asking. Like, for example, like he'll ask, like, what are you reading right now? Mm. Sounds like an innocent enough question, but he's actually just probing for your general mental ability. So if you're like, I really love reading, I don't know, something lame, you know, like he's just like, you know, like, but if you're like, oh yeah, I'm really reading this fascinating books about physics and how it's interacting with the mind, you know, like, like, okay, check. So yeah, it was a very um, interesting process. Yeah. It sounds sounds pretty intense. (laughs) Um, So when you took over as CEO, um, what were your expectations going into Startup Victoria? What was your what was your personal drive for wanting to be a part of Startup Victoria and leading Startup Victoria? That's easy. Um, having spent most of my professional career working at like large organizations and and really giving my mind to the the top end of town, um, I kind of had this realization that knowing how slow it was and knowing even if you get all those sort of elements right to to make a change, it's still really hard. Um, and then observing what was happening with our local entrepreneurs and the amazing progress that they were making, I realised that I'd kind of, uh, I kind of had lost my way. I felt like I was serving the wrong master. <coughs> so entrepreneurs for me have always been the people that I've admired the most. Like I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and have my own business and yeah, and you were almost ready to, to do yeah that as well. exactly yeah. and and like I feel almost like a bit of a startup stalker to be honest with you like I you know and <coughs> like entrepreneurs are the people that I thought that I could actually help the most because even though there is a lot of great um, methodology being practiced here in Victoria there are still so many early stage startups that are getting the fundamentals wrong uh, and so I thought that's something I can actually help with so the goal for me was to come in and as quickly as I possibly could, um, like professionalize the, the, the organization a little bit and <coughs> pardon me, try and just help our local founders as much as possible. Um, and along the way, like, who knows, like maybe I'll find a, a co-founder, like anyone listening to this, I'm currently on the hunt for a data scientist or machine learning specialist, if you want to work with me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm here for. And what was the experience like transitioning in from one CEO to another? Was it a challenging one for you? Because, it, again, it goes back to that culture shock or that aversion to change. Did you experience that when you came in as CEO to the role? Um, no, because I came into, like, a, like, crazy storm. So, like, there wasn't even, like, the luxury of time to even think about that. Right. Um, I came in a couple of weeks or maybe, like, a handful of weeks out from Above All Human. Which I, have you been to Above All Human uh, before? We've, I've personally never been. But we've had a few team members from YBF that have attended. And yeah, yeah, so great line of speakers every single year. Thank you. Yeah, it's a really exciting conference to work on. So for those who maybe haven't come to Above All Human, it's it's Australia's like premier conference for innovation, science, uh, humanities, creativity, and startups and technology. And it's just one stream of content, incredibly curated. Uh, speakers from across the world sharing their insights um, on what the future is going to look like and how we can remain, above all, human in right. everything that we're building. There you go. And That's one yeah. fun. Yeah, there you go. Oh, there you go. See, you're coming <laughs> in eventually. Um, 
So I came in only a few weeks out from that. So it was just like a crazy time trying to get to that conference. We had 1,200 people at the Royal Exhibition Building in Carlton and I had never run a conference before. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was thinking about Zero for the first couple of months. Yeah, That's crazy. Um, so w- shortly after you started your job, you said your mission, uh, we might be quoting it wrong here, but you said your mission was helping people reallocate their time to the things that matter. You've been in the role for a while now. Do you think you've achieved that? No. No, I think I've kind of put that on the back burner hmm. um, for a little while. I think I've achieved it uh, for, for myself. Well, not perfectly, but it's definitely something that I'm anchored in personally. Um, but I don't think I've done my job yet of helping others to do that. I'd really like to, though. Right. Uh, why do you think that's the case? Like, have you shifted to focus? Um, in what yeah, you think? yeah. I think I'm the type of person that if if I'm in a role, it's like I'm all in. Um, I'm not very good at side hustling. So right, sure. um, just because like it just occupies my mind all the time. So I've just given 120% of my mind and my energy to start a Victoria, the community and what we're trying to build. Um, yeah, but it's something I'm still really passionate about. Like mm-hmm. I do think that um, allocating time to things that really matter to you the most is really hard to do. And it takes discipline and it takes practice. So, yeah. How do you keep an organization like Star Victoria focused? Because it seems like entrepreneurs have all, this entire breadth of problems. How do you how do you keep the organization focused? Yeah, we say no a lot. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, because we're a tiny not-for-profit. That's the other thing to keep in mind. Like, even though the community is massive, like, we've got over 20,000 people in our community. And that's not just founders. That's also aspiring entrepreneurs. That's investors, accelerator program managers, co-working spaces, government policy writers, like, professional service providers, like, accountants and lawyers and brand agencies. So, there's so many people and they all have very different needs. Um, for us the main thing we try to stay focused on is at the end of the day, out of all of those people, our customer, if you will, is the founder. Hmm. That's who we exist to serve. Like our job is to help them succeed. And so the things that matter the most to us is like even something as simple like in our day-to-day decision-making on what events we'll choose to do, what content we'll choose to promote, it's will this actually solve a problem that we know some of our local founders have. So for example, you know, we'll be approached to do a co-branded event, you know, with company A and then with company B and both look like great appealing options, but we've got limited resources. So we'll choose the one that we think is going to help our founders the most. Right. And what does uh, success look like for the organization? Success for Startup Victoria. Um, well, there's, there's two things. The first thing is that we actually help. <laughs> That's yeah, the most important thing. Sure. So um, we actually help founders succeed. So whether that's um, answer a question that they may not know the answer to because they're doing it for the first time, connect them with a co-founder, an investor, um, help them learn something from someone who's done it before, like kind of help them see around corners, if you will. Um, That's definitely number one. Number two, and what my job really is, is making sure the organization is sustainable. Mm. So this model, like, like there's a reason why organizations like Startup Vic don't really exist anywhere else in Australia. It's really hard. Uh, like the business model isn't quite right and we haven't really nailed that. Um, so that's really the priority for me over the next 12 months is to make us sustainable. Yeah, and people don't actually know that Starbucks is actually entrepreneur-backed. It's, it's not yeah. by government. It's it's not a government arm. It's it's by the community and for the community. So That's right. Like how, how do you how do you manage that relationship between government? Because you're, you're sort of doing something that the government should be doing as well in a sense. So it's an interesting dynamic, you know, it's an interesting relationship. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, 
And that's that's true. Like a lot of people often um, get us confused with LaunchVic, which is the Victorian state government yep. startup agency. Um, but we're very different organisations. Like Startup Victoria is a grassroots, not-for-profit. Like we started as a meetup group, yeah, you know, called sure. Lean Startup Melbourne. It was a bunch of founders getting together on a Friday night for beers to like hack each other's problems or like set bets on revenue targets. And, you know, it's kind of grown just organically over time. Um, but yeah, no, we are a, a, a membership organisation. So you pay... 90 bucks a year and you're a paid voting member of Startup Vic. You get to come to our AGMs, tell me what my job is. Um, like they're our sort of go-to founders. But I think um, we haven't done a very good job to date, I think, of providing value on that membership. So to date it's kind of been like, a, you know, like pay, pay that and maybe you get some discount codes or some coupons. But, you know, like are we really solving your biggest problems? Probably not. Mm. Um, so that's, that's our job. Like the, the real test for us, I think will be if we're actually providing value, then there'll be an exchange of, of money for that because without us, we you know, they can't survive or they can't get to the next step. Yeah, sure. It's an exchange of value. As yeah, well in, in exactly. Um, when, when you stepped into role, what parts of the role of being a CEO most surprised you? Um, it sounds like you, you're stepping into a role that into an organization, especially that, has sort of this, I wouldn't say identity crisis, but it's trying to figure itself out when you, when you first came in yeah, as CEO. Right. So were there any parts of the business that surprised you or the role that surprised you? Um, what's always surprising to me is the ratio of uh, internal team members to the activity that we do. Mm. Um, I think we very much operate like a, a startup ourselves. Like it's it still blows my mind what we actually achieve with like so few resources. Um, the other thing that kind of surprised me coming into the role was just how much goodwill there is in the startup community. I think just coming from a, a traditionally more corporate background, I kind of just like had forgotten, you know, that everyone's yeah. kind of willing to just like roll up their sleeves, chip in and kind of pay it forward. Um, so like that element of community truly is alive and well. Like I could, I could, you know, if I'm, if I'm, in need of something like so for example um something that i really needed coming into the role that is absolutely not my strength is like financial literacy like i can get away with enough but like to to really do the forecast that we want to do for, for start of victoria i needed like a professional accountant to come in and support so even just putting the feelers out there like going hey who might want to come on board and help and um Luna stepped up, uh, oh, awesome. which is the, yeah, which is the startup studio in Cremorne. Like yep. they're just like s- such good community players. Like the industry partners of Startup Victoria, so they do help fund us to to exist and to remain independent. Um, and then we've also had like the amazing Dan Ross over there um, come on board as our treasurer. Now he's a director of Startup Victoria, and he gives so much of his time uh, in kind to support the organisation and to help me. Um, so yeah, just the amount of goodwill that is here is is kind of overwhelming. Do you think that's unique to Victoria? or is that a startup community kind of thing? I think it's a startup community thing. I think you'll find that anywhere in the world, particularly at the grassroots level. Mm. You know, like like people do want to help each other because they know it's hard. Um, yeah, I'd like to think it's universal. Is, is there anything unique to the Victorian startup ecosystem that you think is, you know, compared to New South yeah. Wales or compared to maybe even the US or, you know. Yeah, well, we're very decentralized for such a small city. That's really interesting to me. So like, you know, you go to Sydney and it's all in the startup hub, right? Like yeah, for the majority true. of activities so on that one building, you know, that's sort of um, sponsored by the the state government, I believe, yep. you know, and you've got Tankstream Labs, you've got um, like some co-working spaces and you've got She Starts in there and a bunch of like, there's so many things happening in that one um, centralized space. Whereas you come to Melbourne, 
And it's also like our culture as well. Like all these little like subcultures around. Like you've got this little pocket in Cremorne, you know, and then you've got this pocket in Collingwood and a pocket in Ducklands and right. a pocket in the city and, you know, even a pocket out in Frankston or out in Geelong. So, um, yeah, very decentralized community for such a small city. What about the traits of the entrepreneurs that you find here in, in Victoria? One of the things I've heard often is that um, this is an Australia-wide thing, not a Victoria-wide thing, but Australian entrepreneurs don't often ask for what they want um, compared to US-based entrepreneurs who are a lot more direct. Uh, mm. do, do you know this? Do you notice that or is that something that's changing or... Yeah, I think it depends like what stage founder as well. It kind of changes. I think okay. as, as a founder becomes more experienced and they're more into like scale up territory. Like so for me, like, you know, they've been working at least full time for 12 months on the business. They've got like at least a millennial revenue. Um, like I think those type of founders here in Australia are much better at asking for what they want because they don't have time to not yeah. like they're, they're like I know what my immediate blocker is for growth and I need this specific thing and if you're not going to help me or give me this specific thing I'm not even going to waste my time talking to you like they're very uh, good I think at being efficient and being selfish that they need to be mm. um, to, to focus on growing their business I think as you get to the wider pool um, as you get to earlier stage where there's less experienced entrepreneurs like it's just it just gets a little bit muddier and I think it's not necessarily that they don't have a problem asking for what they want. I think it's just that they don't know. They don't know what they really need. Like they don't really know what the biggest blocker is because there are so many. Um, so it becomes really hard to be focused. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably the and challenge. Part, one of the things that Star Victoria is trying to do is, is to solve that issue, isn't it? How do you educate founders? How do you support founders? What are the things that you do to, to get there? Yeah, a few things. So um, for us, like at the, at the end of the day, the core is we're a community organization. So connecting founders with other founders is something that we do. Um, so one program that we run uh, regularly now, which we launched last year, is every second uh, week we'll run a structured networking breakfast for founders. Um, so that's where they come along for an hour and a half and you get seven minutes to meet a new person and you experience that right. about half a dozen times throughout the morning. It's intense. Yeah, so it's basically like speed dating, but um, you just quickly go through and meet seven new people in the morning. Um, um, and that's one way to really quickly and efficiently try and like maybe either hone your pitch, find that co-founder, find that investor or, or find the answer to your problem. So nice and efficient. Mm. Um, another thing that we're doing as well is more for the later stage founders, uh, which is a program called Growth Club, which I know we need a better name, but it's all we could come up with at the time. <laughs> um, and that was maybe my pun slinging, sneaking its way into the naming oh, of Startup Victoria. Number two. Yep. Yeah, sorry about that. Um and that that program is designed for later stage founders. And what we do there is we bring basically like the EO model, if you've ever seen that before, entrepreneurs organization. So similar kind of model, but basically where you bring founders who are at a similar stage, similar types of problems together, and they have dinner once a month to sort of hack each other's growth problems. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm having issues with my co-founder. How do I solve that? Or I don't know how to set up a bank account in China when I'm not a citizen. Has anyone done that before? Uh, you know, like whatever it might be. Right. Um, and then every second month we'll host a Q&A with a top tier entrepreneur. So someone from around the world who is actually way, way, way ahead of where they are. You would call them maybe like a, a successful entrepreneur, if you will. Um, and we host sort of private Q&As with them. So a couple of months ago we had Eddie Sheehy who 
I don't know if you know Eddie. I don't know Eddie. He's the co-founder of a cybersecurity uh, company called Newix, okay. which um, was famously uh, used in the pre- preparation of the Panama Papers. Ah. Um, so very successful, um, but not very well known yeah. Melbourne startup. Um, so we had him come along and talk to the founders about what he's done to grow a globally successful company. Speaking of which, that's actually a good segue. Uh, what do you think are the most common issues you, f- you see in startups or the common mistakes that they make? Sorry. Common mistakes would be in the early stages, just trying to figure it all out yourself. Mm. Like there's so much information out there on like what your business structure should look like, what an employee share scheme, share scheme could look like. Um, that's just freely available in the public domain. Uh, so just doing a little bit of desk research on how to structure your business from the start will serve you really well. Like um, I think because our investor landscape here in Victoria isn't as mature as some other startup ecosystems, we also see founders unfortunately getting into really bad deals early on. Right. Um, like someone yesterday uh, was telling me about a founder that they've met where an angel had offered them, I think it was like it was only like 500K, but in exchange for 40% of their business. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, like you still see things like that where they don't know that that is almost criminal um, because they just don't know because they've never done it before. So I think just a little bit of desk researcher asking from people who've done it before um, – is definitely still a common problem. Um, And another one I would say um, that founders have, we have this gap in our ecosystem for sort of high potential early stage founders. So there are so many accelerator programs here in Melbourne um, in comparison to other uh, cities around Mm. the world. Like I think that's something I hear quite commonly when we host guests from other ecosystems like Tel Aviv or, or London. Like they're like, I cannot believe how many accelerator programs you have like i think on startup vic's website we list like all the accelerators in victoria and i think it's like i think like 30 or so really? on there right now yeah and um so but but the the problem that this is creating is everyone's learning the basics right so everyone's being able to test their idea build an mvp flesh out their business model think about their market like come up with a strategy for growth and then we're kind of just spitting all of these high potential early stage startups out and they're a little bit homeless like we don't have enough uh, structure or support at that next stage to support them. Um, so like you kind of get it in other ways once you're beyond that. But there's this middle stage, like let's say maybe like you're, you are working full time on the business. You've got some early revenue or traction or users, but you're certainly not, you wouldn't be, you know, in the scale of cate- category yet. And yeah. there's, there's really no for them to go. Like Scalata is the first one, um, you know, but it's still early days and it's, it's, you know, quite a competitive process to get in that. So I'd love to, I'd love to be able to solve, um, solve that for our ecosystem. And what do you mean by lack of support? Is it funding or is there something else that's missing? It's mostly like knowledge, answers to questions. So like mentorship, um, you know, like even if you think about, if you're in an accelerator program, you're time boxed in this cohort with people who are going through the same thing as you. Um, you've got full access to mentors who can answer any question that you could possibly think of around like the next step of your business. And then all of a sudden you're on your own. You, you don't have a physical space to work in. You don't have a co-working space. You probably can't afford rent yet because you're still kind of early days. Um, and you now have to figure everything else out on your own. You might still have access to those mentors, but now you've got new questions that you probably need different mentors for. And, and so it just you, you just see this like, the growth just halts rapidly um, yeah. for startups at that stage. So you mentioned mentors as well. Like how, how do you use them efficiently? Because sometimes you get these conflicting 
<laughs> pieces of advice from mentors, especially when you're, like you said, in that time box environment mm -hmm. where you're trying to extract as much value as you can. How, yeah. How do you use them efficiently? Yeah. I would say like to any founder, just be like, just because someone has the title of mentor, don't <laughs> assume that they're a really good mentor. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like even though, like, even for example, like someone might assume because I'm the CEO of Startup Victoria that I would have really great advice on scaling internationally. I've never done that before. Don't ask me. Like, you know, like find someone who's actually done and is super credible in what they're doing. Right. Um, and like a simple, really practical way of doing that is just asking that person, like, who was the last person you mentored on this topic? And can I speak to them? Uh, like just do your due diligence on, on your mentors. Um, because I think the thing about Victoria is we're still very infant as an ecosystem. So we don't even crack the top 30 uh, startup ecosystems globally. Uh, so we just don't have the amount of experienced entrepreneurs to learn from. Like we've only got a handful of unicorns mm. um, and th those founders are still very busy building their businesses or like, you know, relaxing if they're on the other end or investing so uh, we just don't have the same access to the same quantity and quality of mentors so it also encourage founders to think beyond our borders right. and get creative about how you can access entrepreneurs and experts from other ecosystems as well like even though you're based in melbourne your knowledge access isn't limited to here Going back to Victoria again, because you're obviously star, you know, CEO of Star Victoria, and I'm sure you spent a lot of time thinking about the topics of how to grow Victoria as a startup ecosystem. You mentioned lack of, of support after that accelerator stage. Is there anything else that Victoria is missing? Do we have enough funding, for instance? Oh, I don't think anyone would be surprised if we say we don't have enough funding. Of course we don't. Yeah, we don't have the same. I think that's going to change though now we're seeing like the super funds start to like billions of dollars mm. that's being invested in traditional industries that probably aren't that great for the world, like oil, gas, tobacco, tobacco gambling, yeah. um, is now sort of we're, we're starting to see thin slices of that getting shaved off and redirected. Like uh, so what they're doing at host is, is great. Um, I'd love to start seeing that become a bit more common so i think we're going to get there um but it's still it's still very difficult and and it's not just access to the money and the size of the money that you would get elsewhere in the world it's the terms mm. um so i do hear i do hear a lot of founders um in the community say that they'll often try and get an uh, international investor first because the terms are better and then they'll bring that term sheet back to australia and have our local investors try and match those terms all of that being said like the investors that are investing here in victoria are so wonderful and we're really lucky to have the people that we do. I mean, yeah, the, the folks at Blackbird, Rampersand, Giant Leap, Airtree, like they're all doing amazing work and I'm sure I'm forgetting many of them, but yeah, I don't want to discount their work yeah, as absolutely. well. Uh, what do you think we need to do more of to support the creation of more funds or to, to attract more capital? Yeah, like there's things that we can do at a government policy level um, to, to make it more appealing, uh, you know, to, to make it like a really like a no-brainer decision. It's like if you're just thinking about, you know, if you think about a high net worth individual, for example, like they're going to diversify their portfolio, they're going to look at the best deal that they can get for their money. Like how can we make investing in a startup really appealing um, just from a, a financial standpoint? I also think there's a lot we can do to educate investors. Um, so the work that is actually being done at the Wade Institute is is a really great, um, really great start. So the VC Catalyst Program. So if you want to learn how to be an investor, you can go and take this course, um, which actually is open now. A little plug for the Wade Institute. There you go. Uh, applications yeah. are open um, <laughs> if you want to learn how to be an investor. Um, so, yeah, I think they're really the main two things. Okay. Well, we've talked a bit about the, the weaknesses of or gaps in Victoria, but what do you think are Victoria's strengths on the flip side? Yeah, like we're, um, we're hungry. <laughs> like we, like the local, the founders here in Victoria, they're almost like, 
maniacally obsessed with changing the world. Like mm. they just are like, I'm going to do this. And like they actually don't realise how hard it is and it's wonderful. Um, you know, like they <laughs> it, like they're just like on, on a train with their vision and, and which is which is really wonderful. Um, I think we have a really great community here in Melbourne that's focused on businesses that are fusing profit with purpose. Mm. So we're definitely seeing that. Like even over the last uh, year and a half, like with a, we run a monthly pitch competition um, at Startup Vic and – I think when when I first started, like I don't think I saw a single one that had a for pu- for purpose, unless we were running like a specific theme mm. that is for purpose that we do once a year with Giant Leap. But outside of that, you wouldn't really see it that often. And now I think at least one every month will come through. And even though it's a for profit business working in a specific field, there'll still be a for purpose element to it. Okay. So I think that's really really nice. What about Victoria? Just brings that out in people. Why do you think? Yeah, it's- no, so I think unique. there's something about the like obviously it's a really unique place to live. Yeah. You know, we live in one of the world's most livable cities. There's an amazing culture here. I think people take time to like people who choose to live in Melbourne, and this is a massive overarching statement, but like I think they're people that place value in having a good life that they enjoy. And I think that translates into work as well. Mm. So yeah, maybe that has something to do with it. What do you think about that tension between uh, hustle hard, work hard, you know, stay in the office, have dinner in the office. Hustle porn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, obviously not healthy is what I'm, I'm getting at. Um, it's just not sustainable. That's the problem. No, it's like, not. It's, yeah. it's just not sustainable. Like I'm all for working hard and like I, you've got to work hard. Like no one's going to hand it. Like, like you're competing on a global stage. Like you have to work smart and you have to work hard no one's just going to hand you a billion dollar company on a silver platter. Like, of course you have to work hard, but you have to remember that you are in a marathon. You cannot build a billion dollar company overnight. And like, even like Didier from uh, Culture Amp, I think he's quoted for saying that quite a lot. It's like, you know, a seven year overnight success, yeah. you know, like you have to be balanced. And again, like uh, Stardavik did a piece of research into founder mental health uh, early last year. So I was out interviewing our founders, just trying to, you know, just learn their experience. Like, what's it like for your personal self-management, your energy management? What's your experience? And what was so common is there was always this breaking point, right? Where someone's hustling, hustling, like they're not sleeping, they're not eating right, they're not exercising, they've stopped doing social commitments, they start getting anxiety, then that leads to depression. And then before you know it, there's some sort of eventual crack Mm. that happens. And the founders that had experienced that crack were really good at having management practices and tripwires in place to manage their energy because they saw how much of a devastating impact it had on them like physiologically. Yeah. Um, and I, what, what I hate to see is early stage founders who are still in that hustle and haven't had that crack yet, but you can see it's like just around the corner. You can almost see it coming for a lot of people. Um, I would love to see more founders who have experienced that crack before who probably don't want to talk about it publicly because it may impact their investor confidence or employee confidence or whatever it might be, maybe just share that privately with the next generation because you can see it happening and and there are simple tools and strategies you can put in place to to manage yourself and still work hard. Uh, I mean, a lot of people listening to this podcast are are likely entrepreneurs themselves. What are some of those tools that they can use? Um, And I guess as an extension, what are some tools that you personally use yourself to help manage that stress and anxiety and pressure. Yeah, sure. And I think for every person it's going to be unique, right? Like um, 
it's 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 whatever it's whatever's going to work for you. So for some founders, like they share that they like secretly love to do um, what's that thing where they like pressure test your muscles, kinesiology. Um, I've never heard of that. Yeah, but right, right, right. <laughs> but like, like that founder who shared that with me was like, I would never admit that because like Melbourne's like startup community is so scientific. And if I tell them I'm doing like heebie-jeebie kinesiology, they're going to oh. laugh me out of the room. But it's like, but that works for them. Um, you know, so he does that. Some people do meditation or yoga or practice some sort of mindfulness. Um, for me personally, uh, I set a lot of rules. So I like to have a bit of structure. Um so even something as simple as like, what's my practice at the end of the day? So um, something that used to be a problem for me is I was really bad at closing out the day. So I would always take, I'd never really have a finish to the day, mm. you know, because like nothing's ever, the list is never There's done. There's always right? something to do. Yeah, the list always goes on. It's like, so you're always just drawing a line in the sand at the end of the day. If you're like, that'll do. That's a manana problem. Mm. Um, and, but what would happen is I'd be like, oh, I didn't do that thing and this is really important and I should do it. And then like, what would what would most likely happen is either I go home and then when I should be resting and like, you know, recharging my batteries, I'm feeling so guilty about not doing that thing that I'll end up working and doing it. Or what's more likely is like I won't do it, but then I'll get so stressed about it that I won't be able to sleep because I haven't done the work. And then, you know what I mean? Like just like <laughs> yeah. this terrible, I don't it's know. A, it's a self-perpetuating kind of yeah, circle. Yeah, exactly. Cycle. And like yeah. intellectually, I know that this is dumb. And, you know, so I was like, how do I stop this? Um, and so at the end of every day, I'll have a practice where I'll basically, I'll just review my calendar and go, okay, everything's in order. Don't need to change anything or I'll make the changes that I need to. Um, I'll go through my wonder list, be like, okay, is that all fine for whenever? Yep. That's fine. Just check my inbox. Nothing urgent. Cool. And once I've done those three things, I will literally close my laptop and I'll say out loud, done. (laughs) Right. You do this every day. Yeah. Wow, so okay. I like officially close out the day right. and like what that's changed for me is I now get to go home and like when I walk in the door and I see my dog, I'm just like, oh, like I can actually enjoy coming home or I can enjoy just like actually recharging my batteries. And, and I'm like, I know that I've done all I can do for the day and tomorrow's another day. Sure. And, and, and speaking to all these founders as part of your research, uh, are there any early signs that a founder can use to identify when they're starting to get into that rut or when they're starting to get into that mentally uh, bad state. Totally. Yeah. You can set like what I would call tripwires. Right. Um, so everyone will know like what their signs are when they're starting to, to lose energy and lose productivity and, and perhaps slip into a, a state that's not really going to be great for your health long term. Um, so f- the first thing to do is obviously know what they are. So literally sit down with a piece of paper and a pen or your laptop, whatever, and write down like what are the things that go first when you're really run down. So for me, I literally have a list in my wonder list right. that says uh, no baking because uh, I love to cook. And if, if I'm really run down, I have no energy. That's the first thing to go. Uh, no playing music. I love to play music. So that also goes when I'm no energy or uh, stop, uh, cancel social commitments because I have no energy to go to them. And they're sort of all like lead indicators. And then you have like lag indicators where it's like, oh, uh, you're like, can you swear on this podcast? Yeah. You're fucked. Like <laughs> it's beyond. Yeah. Um, like these are lag indicators. You're going to d- need to do a lot more work to replenish. So yeah. lag indicators are things like, you know, persistently being unwell. You know, like I'm, I can I can never fully recover. It feels like every two or three weeks, like clockwork, I'm getting a virus or something. I'm just down for the count, you know, not being able to sleep, you know, so insomnia or anything like that. And, you know, the list goes on, like, I don't know, like putting on weight or not going to, like whatever it might be. Um, so the once you know what those things are, 
so like tripwise, if you will, then it's putting in a practice to check yourself. So have a bit of a review. So I will at the every uh, at the end of every month, I'll have like a meeting with myself mm. where I'll like book in like a little coffee date with Judy, and I have to go offsite out of the office, and then I open up my tripwise and I just do a bit of a review. So it's like if I tick any of them off. I then sort of get to do an assessment on how depleted I am. Um, and depending on like the level of depletion, I then put in strategies. So like what what can I do to course correct? So if I'm lag, the first thing that I'll do is I'll take an, a machete to my calendar and anything that's like not essential goes. It, it right. goes, it goes. Yeah. Um, and and in, in, in previous roles, like my team has known that as well. And like, because I'm not very good at saying no, they'll do it for me. <laughs> like rip stuff out of the diary. Gotcha. Um, and lots of other things like so I'll make sure that I'll put in a practice to return to the gym or to whatever it is. Right. Awesome. So we're going to wrap up really shortly. I just have two questions for you. Really easy ones. Uh, the first one is uh, what does the future look like for Startup Victoria? The future for Startup Vic is an organization that is going to be here for a long time that's funded by the founders here in Victoria and our future founders that is relevant, that has problem, uh, that has programs and products that actually solve what they're looking for. Um, so this is a call out to the startup community, like to help me, like help us, help us make that happen. We do definitely need your help. Um, and the future for Startup Vic's ecosystem, if that can come true, is that Melbourne can be one of the best places in the world to build a startup. And that's something I'd love to see. Awesome. And that's a great lead on to my second question, which is if someone wanted to help out, um, be a member or, or a sponsor or whatever it is, how should they get in touch with you? Yeah. So um, would love uh, for people to first of all, head to our website, which is startupvictoria.com.au. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few things on there. There is a contact us uh, button somewhere. Uh, <laughs> so if you have an idea or something you'd love to do to, to help us, please just shoot us an email. Um, if you wanted to sign up as a paying member of Startup Victoria, the more the merrier. There is a big sign up button um, in the top right hand corner of the page. Um, and even uh, what I would encourage, like something that um, Nick Hodges, who's one of our directors, is very good at, is he'll rock up to a meeting and be like, who's been to a Startup Vic event before? And all these hands go up. And like, have you gotten value from a Startup Vic co- piece of content or an event before? People with their hands up. And he's like, are you a paid member of Startup Victoria? No hands go up. <laughs> So I guess my request would be like, if you feel like you've gotten value from Startup Victoria and being a member of the community in some way, like please pay it forward and and just become a member. Um, And yeah, that member base is where we'll be starting to experiment with our new products and programs. Awesome. Judy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, Great to speak to you. And I hope the founders who listen to this podcast will will have a lot of takeaways from what you've shared today. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. And if anyone would like to contact me personally, you're always welcome to get me on Twitter. Uh, My Twitter handle is Fast Track Judy. Awesome. And there you go. Two puns for today. Um, Hopefully more in the next That's terrible (laughs) performance. That is awful. I have failed. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you so much, Judy. Thank you for having me. That was great.